Good afternoon, everyone. Waiting for a cue. I guess the empty pulpit, that's a cue. Can we switch over, push the source? Great. It really is awesome just to be together and have this opportunity to worship God and sing praises to Him and uh, to think that we... Uh, broke bread together and drank from the fruit of the vine together as people have done for 2,000 years. That's pretty amazing. And Jesus asked us to do that to remember him. I want us to look through uh, Ecclesiastes uh, 5 and 6 today. They're shorter chapters and we're going to, I hope, uh, zoom through them. But uh, really just with the aspect of thinking about God. It's, It's all about God. Uh, having God at the center is what makes life make sense. Uh, Edmonds and I had a chance to sit with a friend this afternoon and study through some of uh, Isaiah 40. And just to see this image of God, this picture of God, that He's beyond our understanding. And uh, when I asked our friend, sort of, what's your picture of God? He said, well, God is, I guess God is beyond, you know, what I can describe. And, uh, you know, I like that definition a lot. That God is more in every good way than we can ever possibly imagine. So let's just start off looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And, uh, you know, we've been talking a little bit about this. Uh, we're going to complement Solomon's observations, especially his questions, with a teaching from the New Testament. Because Solomon had a gift of wisdom... But he didn't have a full gift of revelation. It's interesting you can see that. He, just because he could look at things and make very brilliant disco- uh, like discoveries and make great assessments, it doesn't mean that he could see the truth of God 100% and the plan of God. And so uh, he does make observations, and this one was interesting. So, uh, Solomon was the one that had the, the uh, possibility of building the temple. And so it must have been interesting to spend all those years building the temple and then watch people use the temple. And uh, I can imagine that he was basing these comments on something that he had observed. So look in Ecclesiastes 5, we'll read verses 1 to 7. It says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. I do like this insight here. Though he had built the temple and the temple was a place for God to make his presence known, Solomon says God is in heaven. He had no illusion to think that somehow the temple he had built captured the full essence of God. And he said, God is in heaven and you are on earth. And this is just sort of a reminder, this place, this temple, a place to come to that's dedicated to him. He goes on to say, when you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin And do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless, therefore stand in awe of God. Now I was trying to imagine what was going on here. What had Solomon actually observed? 
And from the descriptions we see of the temple and just how beautiful it was and how much wealth and gold and everything had been used and even the special honor that was, that was given to the most holy place. There was one part of the temple that only the high priest could go into and only once a year. You know, if, if I was there, I would have been, if I was just an observer, someone just a participant going as close as I could get, I'd be wondering what's going on in there. When you see a closed door and you know something's going on behind it, doesn't your mind sort of say, hey, what's there? What's going on? And so the temple was this amazing building, and at the very center was the Holy of Holies in which the Ark of the Covenant was, and that had within it uh, the tablets of the Ten Commandments, but also there was an altar there, and it was where God's presence came down in sort of a fiery smoke. So it was a pretty awesome place. But if you were just average Joe, you didn't get to see it. Just the high priest once a year went into that most sacred place. But you can imagine kind of coming into the area of the temple and you start thinking, wow, God is amazing. And and even architecture can do that. Have you ever walked into a cathedral and just kind of gone, wow. You know, there there is something and that's, it's man-made. But there can be beauty and, and we can sense this grandeur and this greatness and, and something in us kind of goes, there is something amazing about this. But of course, any man-made temple is nothing compared to the very presence of God. And I'm thinking some people came into the temple and they kind of had an emotional experience. They saw all this stuff and they go, boy, this is amazing. God, I'm going to do this for you. They would make a rash vow. And then later, after they left the table, go, temple, boy, what did I say? Do you ever get excited and promise more than you intended to? Never happen? And sometimes it's just a generous, compassionate heart. Oh, wow. I mean, I will be at your house every day at 4 o'clock this week to help you. Then you get home and you go, boy, what was I thinking? Every day, 4 o'clock? You know, like, or, you know, or you say to someone, oh, please just feel free. Drop in whenever you want to. And then... They, you know, they leave and an hour later the door locks, hi. And you're like, well, well, that's not exactly what I meant. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it's easy to sort of commit to more than you intend when you get excited about something. But I really want us to see that coming into God's presence should excite us. And a, and a parallel passage in a way to this text can be found in Hebrews 10. Let's turn over to Hebrews 10. I'm going to read verses 19 to 25. Hebrews 10, 19-25. And think about this. The temple I described, only the high priest could go into the most holy place. Only the priest could go to the area surrounding it. But we're going to read that through the blood of Jesus Christ, God is inviting us to His very throne. To His very presence. And so what's it say? Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy, holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is His body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. You know, when it came to the physical temple, the closer that you wanted to get to it, the more you had to purify yourself. But what he is saying here is through the blood of Jesus, 
we can actually approach the very presence of God. Now we know God is everywhere, and the fact is we know that in that sense we're always in His presence, but we're not always aware of it. We're not always thinking that way, that I'm in God's presence. And so God does certain things to remind us. One of the things is this image of the temple in the Old Testament. is to give us this understanding of how holy God is. And yet He's inviting us, He's inviting us to the inner room. To be with God. But look a little further. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What day is that? It's the day when Jesus comes back and gathers us all to heaven. When there's no longer going to be life on earth, but life with Him in heaven. And He said, let's consider how we might spur one another on. In the New Testament, the image of the temple is used for each Christian's human body. That the Spirit of God comes into us when we're baptized, and we become sanctified before God. This is His plan. God is with us. But also in a very cool way, when we gather together, the church is a temple. And God is among us. And you know, this isn't exactly gold-covered. And uh, you didn't need any special card to get in to the inner room here. You know, we have just come into this building all together. But God considers this a temple where He can be worshipped. And the reason Jesus asked us to break some bread each Sunday, to drink the cup together, is because He wants us to be mindful of the sacrifice that brings us to the most holy place with God. And so we've, we've been here together encouraged. It doesn't happen at work. I, I mean, who at work this week sat in a circle, broke some bread, drank some wine, and celebrated the coming of Jesus? Did, did that happen at anybody's work? You know, wouldn't that be awesome if it did? You know, but the truth is, we've come together to remind each other that we believe the same thing. That in fact, the temple is no longer just a physical place on earth. It's a state of being of a person and a group of people. And so, let's not give up assembling. Because when we assemble, we experience God in a bigger way than we do when we're by ourselves. Each of us have different gifts God has given us. And each one of us manifests various parts of God's character and love. And together, we see a more complete picture of our God. And we can experience God more fully. So draw near to God. Solomon was saying, draw near to near not just to speak, but to listen. Now it's funny, when you look at uh, like human religion... Human religion's all about getting God to do something for us. But really what God wants us to do is simply come into His presence. And actually acknowledging that and focusing on that, that will change us. God's presence will change us. And that's exciting. Well, he goes on, we'll go back to Ecclesiastes. He just talks a little bit about human life here. Because... Let's face it, there's something about human life that is distracting. 
this material world is distracting. And uh, when you get hungry, it's hard to think of anything else but being hungry. Have you noticed that? How about when you're sleepy? How about when you're... Well, how about when there's an emotion filling you? How about when you're angry? You know, funny thing about emotions is when you get a certain emotion, it affects everybody, right? It affects all your relationships. Well, well, God wants us to be changed by His presence and change the way we view this world. And this passage that we're looking at, chapters 5 and 6, is sort of ending the first section of the book of Ecclesiastes. And this first section was a lot of reflection about what is meaningful and what is meaningless. And why are we here? And what he's going to talk about right now, really, is just how we view and how we experience the material world. So let's go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 8 to 12. It says, If you see the poor oppressed in a district, and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things, for one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. That's interesting since Solomon was the king speaking. But he says, you know, with all this material world, there's a system and everybody wants a piece, right? And so much of the world is about, and commerce is, things are changing hands. We are exchanging money. And there's people in the middle making money along the way. And to be honest, some of the people making the most money, they don't produce anything. And they don't, they're not the ones buying it. They're just passing it on. And uh, that's how business works. Well, look what he goes on to say. Whoever loves money never has money enough. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. Because that's a basic law, supply and demand. Uh, And what benefit are they for the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. You know, it's sad. We can be striving after all this wealth, but in fact, it doesn't add to our quality of life. You may own the best restaurant in town, but never actually sit down and enjoy a meal. How sad is that? But you know, the guy that works and he's done his job and he's gone home from work and there's some food on the table and he just sits down, he's hungry, he enjoys his food. That guy understands what life is about. Not dreaming about the future, not trying to control everybody else. You know, we think, you know, the world's full of injustice. But the world is full of people just like us. And sadly, some of them have a lot of power. And in our own little worlds, our own little selfishnesses, our own little greeds, they can work and hurt others and hurt and not be generous to them. Well, what happens when you get more and more power and it's still just a human being controlling that? And see, the fact is the world we live in is just full of people like us. And if you want money, if you're just always wanting more, you will never be satisfied. Well, look what uh, we have said in 1 Timothy. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. It says, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money 
have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, he's making this general statement. You've got to be careful. Wanting to get rich can lead you into a trap. But then he ends it with some have wandered from the faith, implying even some who were Christians got lured away by this desire, by wanting to have more. You know, going back to uh, Ecclesiastes, let's read again, starting at verse 13. He says, I've seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when he has a son, there's nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. This too is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain since he toils for the wind? All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. You know, it's so sad. If, if you're not content with what you have, if you're always thinking a little more will make you content, if you think the secret of content is having more, you're going to be in a circle like, like a dog chasing its tail. You're just going to be going like this and this, trying to just get that magic amount But contentment isn't based in what we have. It's based in how we look at what we have. Then Solomon said, I realized it's good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him, for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions, and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot, and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. Does that sound like a good recipe right there? Who wants to have this kind of life? Where each day there's just a sense of peace, there's a sense of satisfaction. That in fact, we look to God and we say, thank you for what we've you've given me and we're grateful in our hearts you know it's interesting Solomon was studying the vanity of just amassing wealth he was talking about this and and you know Jesus had a similar conversation in Luke 16 about wealth and it says the Pharisees sneered at him because they love money the religious leaders of the day were actually going you got to be kidding that's naive Hey, if you're going to live in this world, you need to get the best of everything you can. It's about how much wealth you have. But Jesus didn't go along with that. Jesus just lived each day at a time and received gratefully whatever God gave to him. And you know, God gives us many times more than enough so that we can even be generous with what we've been given. You know, one of my favorite sort of Christmas movies is A Christmas Carol of Scrooge. You know, and there's, now there's a lot of different versions of it. But I just want to share a little clip from, from one of them. This is the animated version with Jim Carrey. And uh, hopefully my sound system is going to cooperate today, okay? But you know, what's interesting, this is a classic. Dickens wrote this over a century ago. And yet it still is significant. There's still, it still has a message. Children watch this and they understand something. 
that there's a vanity in going after materialism. And so, you know, he, in the story, Ebenezer Scrooge meets these three different spirits, spirit of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future, and they teach him. But what's interesting, we're just going to watch this little clip where the spirit of Christmas past shows him his past. Not something that's going to happen, but shows him the decisions that he made. And we all know that his life was miserable. But let's just watch this together. Another idol has replaced me. Another idol? What idol? A golden one. There is nothing on this earth more terrifying to me than a life doomed to poverty. May I ask, why do you condemn with such severity the honest pursuit of substance? You fear the world too much, Ebenezer. Changed. Changed. Perhaps grown wiser. But I have not changed toward you. Our contract is an old one. It was made when we were both poor and content to be so. When it was made... You are another man. I am a... I release you, Abby. Everything that made my love of any worth in your sight. Tell me, Ebenezer, if this contract had never been between us, would you seek me out now? Ah, oh, no. You think not? I would gladly think otherwise if I could. But if you were free today, would you choose a dowerless girl? A girl left penniless by the death of her parents. You who weighs everything by game. I release you, Ebenezer. May you be happy in the life you've chosen. It's good. Remove me from this place. I told you, these were shadows of things that have been. They are what they are. Do not blame me. Remove me. I cannot bear it. Yes. You know, reminded of the story. Look what he gave up. I mean, you know, she seems awesome, doesn't she? Just this kind, wonderful, loving person who's got great priorities. And what's he thinking about? Money. And what had happened was they'd been engaged, but she was waiting. He was to make the next step, and he wasn't doing it. You know, the emptiness of the world, we look at that story and we think, oh, I would never be like Ebenezer Scrooge. But I think there's a little Ebenezer in everybody, don't you? You know, it's, it's funny. It's that little voice inside saying, what am I going to trust that's going to make me feel secure? You know, in this world, what is secure? You can have all the money, but 
What about health? You know, we don't control the outcomes. We don't control the traffic. You know, um, I have another child just about getting ready to start to drive. And uh, not that I'm just possessed by some anxious thought, but it occurs to me. It's, it's, I've thought about just how dangerous it is when you're in a car. We're all driving these little death machines at, you know, 30, 40 miles an hour, up and down the road, cars are coming at you, and you kind of think, one move beyond my control. You know, we take for granted so much that everything's just going to continue the way it is. So it's not going to teach you the best I can how to drive. But, you know, but the point is this. We don't know the future. We don't know what will be tomorrow. And so what are we putting our hope in? And really, this is where Solomon is going. Look what he said back in 1 Timothy. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. This may be some of the most challenging words that Paul ever writes. If we just have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Well, I haven't got the family that I wanted. I don't have the material possessions I wanted. I don't have the education, the appreciation. We could go through all this list of things that can be accomplished in this world. And I'm not saying they're bad things. But the world would say those things will give your life meaning. And God would say... It's coming into my presence that's going to make the difference. It's being with me. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now let's go back to Ecclesiastes again. And we'll read in chapter 6, verses 1 to 12. It says, I have seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on men. God gives a man wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing his heart desires... But God does not enable him to enjoy them, and a stranger enjoys them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. A man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. I mean, how, how strong language can you use? Better to not have been born at all than to live your life and not get the meaning of it and not be satisfied in it. It comes without meaning, it departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Therefore it never saw the sun or knew anything. It has more rest than does that man, even if he lives a thousand years twice over, but fails to enjoy his prosperity. Do not all go to the same place. All man's efforts are for his mouth, yet his appetite is never satisfied. What advantage has a wise man over a fool? What does a poor man gain by knowing how to conduct himself before others? Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after wind. Whatever exists has already been named, and what man, what man is has been known. No man can contend with one who is stronger than he. The more the words, the less the meaning. And how does that profit anyone? For who knows what is good for a man in life during the few and meaningless days he passes through like a shadow? Who can tell him what will happen under the sun when he is gone? You know, really, the strength of the book of Ecclesiastes are the questions. 
Because if you were to ask the questions about life, looking at just how vain everything seems to be, then these are the questions. Who knows what's good for a man in life? During these few and meaningless days, he passes like a shadow. And who can tell him what happens under the sun after he is gone? Well, tell you, God can. There's an encouraging answer to this. And we're going to look and close over just in 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's interesting how this chapter in Timothy answers a lot of these things over in Ecclesiastes. It says, but you man of God, 1 Timothy 6 verse 11, flee from all this. What did he just talk about? The love of money. It's It's a root of all kinds of evil. He says, flee from it and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in His own time, God the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. You know, in all this discussion, he goes, what's really important? It's God. It's keeping our focus on him. And he's in unapproachable light, it says. But actually, we know that through the blood of Jesus, we have a way to God. We have a way. Only through Jesus can we truly see Him. Only through Jesus can we truly know Him. And God has a plan for each one of our lives that goes beyond this life. But you know, the good news is, He didn't intend for this life just simply to be full of suffering. Though when we do suffer, there's meaning. Isn't that encouraging? If you're going through a difficulty and you're a Christian, God has a purpose in that. I appreciate what Ashley was sharing. You can figure out sometimes, things aren't as good as I thought they were. But then you start to look at God's purpose. What is God teaching me? What does God want me to see? And He brings us closer to Him. You know, just closing in 1 Timothy 6, it says, in verse 17, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant in order to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now I know we can disqualify ourselves easily, you know. Oh, it says command the rich. Well, that's not me. It's all perspective, isn't it? You know, just the benefits we get of living in this country with medical care would cause 90% of the world to consider us rich. For For them to have that kind of care available. You know, we live in a country, praise God, we haven't had war on our doorstep. But you know, we know how things happen. We don't know the future. We don't know what the future looks like. But let's just live today, be grateful for what God has done. And it says here that He's given us everything we need for our enjoyment. But we also need to be generous. Because in that is a deeper enjoyment. In participating in that character of Christ. 
He says in verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up for themselves treasure for treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You know, from God's perspective, this isn't yet truly life. This is the life that's a little bit of a mix. This is a a material and a spiritual life mixed together. And sometimes I think we're a little bit discouraged about a spiritual life because we're, we're a little afraid that that won't be enjoyable. The God who made this planet and this world and the things that we enjoy, He's preparing a place for us called heaven that's even better. That's going to take faith though. We haven't seen that yet. We haven't tasted that yet. But that's His promise. And it's going to be amazing. And we need to share with with others what He's given us. You know, that same passage I was quoting back from Luke 16 where Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. This is the comment He made. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. You know, the whole purpose of our life here on earth is eternal. The purpose is eternal, though life here isn't. And material things represent this world more than they represent the next. Material material things decay and eventually disappear. But the things that really matter are the spiritual things. And in this room, the things that really matter is the spirit that's in each one of us. And the Spirit of God that is here among us, this is what really matters. It's the invisible that really matters. Solomon said, when you come to the temple, pay attention. Be ready. You know, it said back in Hebrews 10, let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We've come together today because actually there is something after this life. We remember the sacrifice of Jesus today because God has a plan that surpasses anything we could imagine. And that is to have a relationship with Him and it begins right now. Our eternal life begins now in Christ Jesus. As we pray, let's ask the worship team to come up and take their places. Our Father and God, we are so grateful for your rich blessings in our lives. And Father, I pray that we can first just face the blessings that we have and learn the lesson of being content. To really look at the lives that you've given us. And Father, we know that each one here has been apportioned things differently. Father, we don't live exactly under all the same circumstances. And yet, Father, we know that you love each one of us in a very special way. And Father, we know that the the wealth or power or position or anything that we have in this world, we know, Father, that that will all disappear. And we we know that the only thing that will last is our relationship with you. And then the true treasure, even here in this room, our relationships with each other. Father, help us to use what we have here to build with eternity in mind. As we go throughout our week, help us to think about eternity and your plan for our lives. And Father, help us also to remember that we broke bread together, together, that that we broke bread and we thought about your son, Jesus, 
Help us to remember that each day, as we begin each day, that Father, we have an awesome opportunity to simply walk through each day with you. Father, thank you so much for the blessing of Jesus. Thank you for the truth that your word gives us. And Father, we pray that we can encourage one another to love and good deeds. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.